Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as my co-host, a sports writer, sports radio personality, and lifelong H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, what do you think the story with the Astros has been so far this year? We're already a third of the way through the season. I guess I'll let you start off with the good stuff. Gosh, isn't that crazy, Robert? A third of the way through the season. I mean, you know, baseball does seem like a long slog, 162 games. But, you know, it's amazing how fast it can go, especially when they play games every day, just about. So, yeah, the fact that we're one third of the way through the season, I guess, isn't that surprising. And, you know, the, the Astros aren't exactly tearing things up, but they're not exactly doing badly either. I mean, I have to look down and I know, you know, a couple of the obvious things. The return of Justin Verlander has just got to be one of the best stories that you could have in baseball, really, this year and over the last few years. Yeah, I know he had a rough start in his last outing and you know against Seattle, and I've even got a couple of observations about that when we get to the negative stuff. But good grief, you, you cannot ignore what this guy has done and what he's come back from, especially at, at his age. And, you know, when I think about it, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm not putting him on the same plane as Nolan Ryan exactly. But when you talk about the intensity, competitiveness, and, and just the attention to working out and the work ethic that Justin Verlander puts in, that is certainly the kind of thing that Nolan Ryan did and, and made one of the reasons why Nolan was able to pitch into his 40s. So the fact that Justin is coming back from this injury and doing as well as he has you know, d- despite some late struggles and some things that may have been hidden up until that last start, it, it's just, it, it is definitely one, it's it's by far the most inspirational story of this season. What can you say? I mean, who would have thought he would start off the season this hot? Just the one bad outing, but just otherwise, it's just it lights out for him. And you throw that or tag that onto Another great storyline for the Astros this year, Jeremy Pena. I mean, you lose Carlos Correa, and he's one of your best hitters this year. He's not just like, oh, he's doing okay, or he's got like a 700 OPS. No, it's been 800 OPS plus most of the season, and you you can't ask for anything more. I, I do get a little concerned about his defense. Uh, I would like to see him make some of the easier plays that you know we just sort of took for granted with Carlos Correa but uh, I mean otherwise I'm I'm real happy with Jeremy Pena I think the defense especially I get concerned and my heart beats a little bit faster when we get into the playoffs if he's you know still making these kind of mistakes later in the season it's going to be a concern well the good news is is he's still got a ways to figure it out Uh, although you know my biggest concern for Pena Along with the defense is the fact that he's going to have to play through a 162-game season, something he's certainly not used to doing. You know, how much is he going to wear down later on in the season? Now, you know, the the thing about Pena, you know, as of a few days ago, and I think it's even still the case because I haven't looked at the stats in the last couple of days, but, you know, he's got the highest batting average on the Astros. You know, no one's been hitting over 300. Jeremy was batting, I know, at 290 at one point. I don't know if that, that's a good thing and a bad thing, Robert. He certainly wants some 300 hitters in that lineup. But, yeah, the fact that Jeremy Pena has done so well from the offensive side, that really was the big concern, I think, coming in 
is whether he would be good offensively. I mean, his defense in the minors was good, but this is the major leagues, and it does take some adjusting. I think he will get there as far as the defensive standpoint, but the question is, what is his stamina going to be as he goes throughout the season? Yeah, and you mentioned, is it a good thing or a bad thing that he's got the best average? We're going to get to that in just a second, but I'll give you one other good thing, and the second best ERA in baseball. How about that? The Astros are pitching great across the board. The bullpen has been incredible. Yeah, and that's a good thing because the offense has had so much struggles this year that if it weren't for the dominant pitching, both with the starters and relievers, uh, the Astros would not be where they are right now. That's for sure. Yeah, the bullpen is certainly an improvement over last year. We have to say they, they have done quite well. But, you know, even with the starting rotation, and, you know, with Jake Odorizzi going out, you know, he'd been starting to look like he was getting it together in his last couple of starts before he got hurt. You know, the inconsistencies of Jose Urquidy, that's still a concern. But, you know, as we mentioned with Verlander, Framber Valdez was lights out in his last start. And, you know, he's certainly been pitching pretty well. And, you know, just some of the other guys coming through in the starters and the bullpen, boy, the, the pitching, you just can't say enough about it on both sides. Rafael Montero looks like he's in a rocking chair. Neris has been a great pickup. I mean, the bullpen, pretty much everybody, except there's one guy I'm a little concerned about. I'm going to get to him in a little bit, but let's get the story of the bad side for this Astros team. And the bad side, the thing that you're concerned about is the struggling offense. A couple of days ago, the Chronicles Chandler Rome wrote, Stephen, that the Astros have the league's worst batting average, OPS, and on-base percentage during at-bats with runners at first and second base. But it's not like they're just bad with runners on first and second. It seems like when guys in scoring position, they're not too good. They were second in runs last year. If somebody's wondering, oh, everybody's worse in baseball, well, they went from second in runs to now they're 20th in runs in baseball. Yuli and Aledmus have been terrible, a major part of the problem Ledmus matters because he's almost like another starter, as you and I have talked, Stephen. And it's not just Yuli's overall numbers. The clutch stats, terrible. His OPS with runners in scoring position, 427. As you know, fantastic during his career, 861 in those situations normally. It's a shocking drop-off. Stephen, you got two months before the trade deadline, an offensive first baseman, usually easy to find. So you wonder what happens if Yuli doesn't pick it up here. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the runners on first and second stat. They were batting 176 at one point with a 517 OPS and 240 on base percentage. That is worst in the league in all three categories. So it is a concern. And, you know, Gurriel is definitely a concern. And I hate to say this, Robert, but I, I just I had an uneasy feeling coming into the season that Gurriel could I, I certainly didn't think he could repeat his performance from last year because it was so good, but I really worried about a drop off, you know, considering his age and, and just the fact that, you know, it wasn't so long ago in 2020 in the postseason how much he struggled so much. Unfortunately, Gurriel's drop off is not a big surprise to me. And that's why I've even said, I think on this podcast previously that well, the Astros, you know, they have some problems in some other areas like infield depth. They definitely need to start thinking about first base long term with with Gurriel struggling. He's certainly not going to be there the next several years, I don't think. 
So that is definitely something they need to look at. And hey, if they can get that in the trade deadline in the next couple of months, so be it. Because you really have to start thinking about that sort of thing now. If you're going to get in the final push of the season and Guriel continues to struggle and some, some of the other guys do too, yeah, it's definitely going to be a concern as you get close to the postseason. Verlander beating Father Time, Yuli losing to Father Time right now. And if you bring in another first baseman, Stephen, Yuli can still be a utility player. That's what's so great about him. And I hope it doesn't come to that, but it's worth the thought. Well, he certainly could. And and I think at some point that is what his role is going to be if somebody does suddenly come up and uh, take that spot at first base by force, basically, because that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to come in and force Dusty Baker to put him in at first base, both from the fielding side and certainly from the offensive production side, if that's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen in the, you know this season, but certainly sooner rather than later, I'd say it has to. You saw the Yuli thing coming. I don't think anybody saw Kyle Tucker's drop off. His OPS worse than his, uh, well, worse than any year since his rookie year. And he's dropped over 130 points as you and I are speaking, Stephen, before Tuesday night's game this week. Yeah, Tucker is a concern. And, and I know, you know, we were talking about, I think, moving him around in the batting order, maybe moving him up at some point. But the way he struggled lately, and then even when the season first started, he got in a real funk. I don't know that you want to move Kyle Tucker up. If, if you're going to move anybody up, I'd say maybe it should be Pena. But, you know, the way he's been hitting, you almost don't want to take him out of that spot late in the lineup. So, but yeah, Kyle Tucker is definitely a concern, and he certainly needs to put it together here before too long. Dusty doesn't want to move up Pena. They asked him about it. He's you know, says, well. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he just don't want to do it. And, and it's, it's great. As the bullpen has been, we talked about it earlier, I'm a little concerned with Ryan Presley. Trusting your closer is kind of a big deal. His ERA, not terrible, but his innings have not looked easy. His strikeout per nine is way down, Stephen. 7.4 Ks per nine prior to Tuesday night's game. Keep in mind, it's hovered between 11 and 13 since 2018. Yeah, that is a concern. And you just kind of wonder, is that knee still bothering him? Is it something that, He's just going to have to nurse for the rest of the season. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. I, I just don't see it's a mental thing with him. But, you know, you you hope it's not the kind of thing that's going to keep bugging him the rest of the season because you're really going to need him when you get late in the season and then in the postseason, certainly. Right. And, you know, hopefully he gains his momentum a little bit. I mean, it's not a big concern when a reliever struggles early in the year because there's there's plenty of time and, Usually it goes the other direction if the guy has a track record and Presley obviously has the track record. Uh, another thing, another little point that I want to make is it looks like Jake Myers will be back in a month. And Stephen, I want to make a couple of points on that. His coming back in early July means James Click has approximately one month to evaluate the center field position before the trade deadline. And I really hope that Dusty will actually leave him out there so we can see what he's got. So you can make that decision if you want to go out and grab a center fielder. And that's one way you can upgrade your offense. You'll have to decide whether to upgrade by, obviously, the end of July. And, Stephen, I also believe no matter what happens, Chas McCormick likely traded before the deadline. I'm going to make that prediction. I think McCormick, more than Siri because of Siri's elite speed coming off the bench, stays uh, you know, st- well, he's out and then series, uh, the one that stays and besides base dealing Siri, Steven covers a little bit more ground in center field than Chaz does. 
You know, it's funny that you say that about Chaz McCormick, because that very thought crossed my mind the other day when I was kind of looking at the fact that Jake Myers was getting pretty close to coming back. I mean, he still needs to do a minor league stint. But yeah, McCormick's name was was the first one that I thought of as possible as a trade possibility. Because, well, first of all, it's pretty obvious Dusty Baker likes Jose Siri more than he does Jazz McCormick. And you talk about the speed and some of the other things that, that series, uh, Siri brings. Now, with Myers, you know, unfortunately, a month is not a long time to evaluate, you know, especially because he's coming back so late. He hasn't really had a decent spring training. Yeah, he'll have a minor league stint. But, you know, the season is just going to be thrown off so much with him. And getting back and, and playing every day, or at least, you know, several times a week, that's, you know, one month is really not a very long time. So it's going to be a critical decision when it comes down to that, if you're going to make a move at the trade deadline. Because I don't know that there's anybody else in your farm system at this point you're going to bring up in center field. So it's either going to be have to be who you have now, or you're going to have to go out and make a move. And you'll have about a month, maybe less than that, depending on when Jake does come back, to figure that out. Well, they have Pedro Leon in center field, you know. In the, well, that's true. They play. do, and he they, he could be, you know, the next person that they count on to bring up, since center field is his best position. And people might wonder, well, why Jake Myers? Do you have more confidence in him, say, than Siri or Chaz McCormick? He just has a better understanding of the strike zone. To me, that's what it comes down to, Stephen. Well, he does, and you know, you can't. I know last season was a long way off, considering what happened with the injury. But he certainly turned heads late in the season. And then in the postseason, that brief appearance, if he hadn't gotten hurt, who knows what he would have done. But he certainly impressed then. So he at least has the potential to do so again. But I, I just, I don't know, Robert. I, I think it's going to take him some more time to get back than the Astros really have time for at this point, at least in the center field position. But I'm hoping he can bounce back sooner rather than later. Yeah, you just don't want to give up that much for a center fielder with a little bit of an upgrade at that position. And especially when you know that Myers could be your future or maybe Siri gets better. But I, I just don't see Siri's uh, strike zone getting any better. And I think that's the big concern with him. And he's not a good enough contact hitter. You know, this is not Jose Altuve that can, you know, you can afford to. He's not walking a lot early in his career, but, you know, he's just getting yeah hits all over the place because he's got great back control. So, I mean, that, that, that's something to consider. Anything else that you're thinking about at the one-third mark through the season, Stephen? Anything else on your mind? Well, getting back to Justin Verlander, you know, his latest struggles, there are some things that have been kind of hidden, you know, beneath the surface that, that kind of bubbled up in the Seattle game. You know, his whiff rate before that game was very low, 23.3%. His slider, which has traditionally been good, it just hasn't been as sharp as in past years. The four-seam fastball, you know, it's it's been clocking a bit low. It's only at 94.8 miles per hour against the Mariners. But, you know, starts like that are inevitable in a long season, particularly after just coming back from an injury like the one that uh, Verlander has. He certainly has still exceeded my expectations, and I know yours too, Robert. Command is something that hopefully will improve if his velocity can improve. And, you know, for me, the biggest question is, can he maintain this kind of pace throughout an entire season? Because, boy, you're certainly going to need him in that starting rotation. You know, with his postseason experience, I, I just hope that, you know, I, I know the Astros aren't really talking about, you know, babying him, arresting him at this point. They're going to let him go as far as he can go. And, and hopefully 
that will spell good things for the Astros for the rest of the year. But those are just some of the things that I've noticed coming out, you know, especially in that last start and then some others before that. And of course, the home runs, he gave up four. He was doing that, you know, in 2019, Robert, when he was pitching, even in that Cy Young season, he he was giving up a lot of home runs, many of them solo shots. So that's certainly not a surprise. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, he's had to change a little bit how he pitches because of his age. And you have to do that a lot of the time. Not everybody's Nolan Ryan and can still go out there and throw it yeah. 95 to 100 miles an hour right. when you get to this age. So you made the Nolan comparisons and, and I'll say that. But also, I think, yeah, he can't keep up this pace, but can he keep up the pace of a really good starter? And I, I would say you need him to be a top three starter in the playoffs. You know, Fromber is is one of the guys. And then it remains to be seen who you might think is the next guy. But Christian Javier, I think, you know, to me is one of the best arms. And we've talked about that in the past. And to me, it's exciting that they're finally letting him start. And hopefully, you know, maybe Lance McCullers or uh, Odorizzi come back and you can rest uh, Verlander a little bit with the, go back to that six man rotation, which they they weren't afraid to do early in the season, knowing that this could be an issue with a lot of guys. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And yeah, with Verlander, I, I think, yeah, being a top three starter, certainly that that's what you're going to need. You don't want him to be any lower than that. But you know what? If anybody can pull it off, Justin Verlander can. If anybody can exceed those expectations going into the postseason with him being the kind of pitcher he needs to be, it would be Verlander. I mean, he's done it so far. So there's no reason to believe that you should count him out now. Right, right. And, you know, you, we talk about Justin Verlander and Nolan Ryan, and I, I did go see, Stephen, last week, the uh, the documentary, the Nolan Ryan documentary. It was the first time I'd been in a movie theater in a couple of years. I'd give it seven out of ten stars. Good, but not great. Although a good Nolan Ryan documentary, you know, in a movie theater, big screen, <laughs> is still a great experience for a Nolan worshiper like me. It's like taking a six-year-old to get ice cream, even mediocre ice cream is pretty awesome. So no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'll take it. i tell you what, Robert, you're a lucky man. Of course, I live here in Austin. So unfortunately, the film was only shown in Houston. And it was what, only over, was it one or two days? It was only one, it was one night, wasn't it? One night. Yeah. So yeah, you either see it or you, you blink, you see it or you don't. So uh, the fact that you got a chance to see it, that that's really awesome. What, what were some of your... Uh, specific impressions of it well first of all you talk about it being one night i went to a movie theater that was packed i was looking at other theaters near me it was almost impossible to find a seat unless it was the front row this was like the afternoon before it showed so you know the, the number of people in the movie theater was incredible and i took my niece who's 16 years old didn't know a whole lot about nolan ryan she really enjoyed it um, you know, there wasn't, I think, any major revelations for those of us that know Nolan's story, but it's just fun to see people talk about him, comment. There was a lot of Pete Rose in the documentary, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, there was uh, Rod Caruso. There were some really big names, not just, uh, you know, just your basic guys that were around him on his teams and things like that. Um, I started keeping a running tally, Stephen, though, of how many talking heads were guests on Houston Sports Talk. I counted nine of them. 
Some wow. obvious like Craig Biggio, Alan Ashby, Kevin Bass, Enos Cabell, and of course his son, Reed Ryan, all guests on our show. Other former guests, Barry Warner, his biographer, Rob Goldman, and John McClain, who was on in it a surprising amount. You wouldn't exactly expect the general to get that much run in a baseball documentary, but uh, he was there. The last one, which I count because they used his voice, not necessarily a talking head, but Greg Lucas, uh, he was, you know, he wasn't telling Nolan stories, but they used his voice briefly calling one of Nolan's games with the Rangers. If you remember, Stephen, he was uh, working on the Rangers telecast before he worked on the Astros telecast to end his long career. That is correct. Wow. Well, give yourself a pat on the back, Robert. That's great. I mean, that it's, you know, that you have garnered respect when opposing hitters like Pete Rose and Rod Carew and I know there were several others talk about how great you are. And it, it certainly should come as no surprise. If we're talking about Nolan Ryan, then yeah, there will be a number of hitters. There were plenty of them who didn't even want to face him. And, and we're talking great hitters who some of them would even take the day off if he was pitching. That's how intimidating Nolan Ryan was. But yeah, great that you got to see the film and just the, the fact, I'm sure it was great just to relive some of those memories that, that you had of him, Robert, you know, just by watching it. What, what theater was it in? This was, uh, I was staying with my sister for a few days, um, have been dealing with some health problems, a couple of uh, trips to the emergency room. Uh, and so I was with my sister. And so I saw it out in Pearland. And the other thing that I think people, if you're watching the movie, and I think I think they're going to run it one more time next month in movie theaters. But if they stream it or whatever, wherever you might see it, if you're lucky enough to see it, uh, hopefully they will uh, continue to show after the credits. There was a Q&A when they did it at South by Southwest. So Nolan comes up on stage mm -hmm. and there's a great story that uh, his son Reed sort of leads him into about Pete Rose that I, I don't want to tell here. I'll let Nolan tell the story because it's, it's pretty funny and it's a little bit on the R-rated side, but uh, it's Pete Rose. So I would have expected yeah. nothing what less. What else would you expect? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, if it's streaming anywhere where I can get it, uh, please let me know because I would love to see it. And they threw some numbers at the end of it that, you know, the Nolan numbers, that if people don't know, uh, they're worth looking at. And of course, I couldn't help but think of Nolan after Fromber pitches a complete game, Stephen. What's Boy, going on? How about that? Maybe Nolan rubs some of that mojo off on Fromber. He needs to do that a little more often to keep him consistent. That's great. That's great. Yeah, 114 pitches and... I mean, Nolan's like, yeah, w whatever. That was like a Tuesday for him. But yeah, still, yeah. I mean, to get to let um, Fromber go that distance, I really love Dusty for that. And of course, Luis Garcia went eight innings. Um, of course, way fewer pitchers than that. But I mean, it's just so good to see from Fromber. Um, and you want to see his arm get stronger and him get extended because Steven if you can get more out of him during the playoffs, then you don't need the bullpen. Now I know we don't do that anymore, but it, it's, it seems to me it would be a good thing if you didn't use your bullpen as much in the playoffs, if you could get some more length out of guys like uh, you, you might expect from a Justin Furlander, for example, in the playoffs, we used to expect that from him or Garrett Cole, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, you know, there are just some things about baseball, Robert, that I wish 
wouldn't have changed so much because I, I think that, you know, you, you heard of pitchers getting injured or things like that, you know, decades ago, but I still think that the injuries nowadays, you know, a lot of it is just the way the pitchers handle themselves, not just so much throwing so much, but just the way they train and, and a lot of the off season training. I just think there's a lot of that that could probably be avoided and maybe they'd be able to pitch longer and deeper into games. Also, uh, speaking of going deep into the games, if you need a bigger Nolan Ryan fix than you got at watching the movie, or if you want one because you didn't get to see the movie, look for a video, video titled Nolan Ryan Memories on my YouTube page. There's a 20-minute interview with Rob Goldman. Like I said, he was on the show. Uh, he had some different stories than you heard in the documentary. You're also going to hear from Kevin Bass, Bob Aspermani, Kenny Hand. And another Nolan Ryan biographer, Mickey Herskowitz. That podcast should also be in our archives. So if you do a search on your podcast app, you will find it. Stephen, how many interviews do you think we've done on Houston Sports Talk in our almost nine years? I, I ran a tally. Mm, man, total? Um, gosh, I'll guess 250. You are very close. 230 interviews, roughly. I think I might be a little bit off, but I, I counted what I what I could find. <laughs> and there were two NFL Hall of Famers, one Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, one MLB Hall of Famer, one National College Baseball Hall of Famer, one Olympic gold medalist, one Cy Young Award winner, one World Series MVP, two World Cup champs, one College World Series Most Outstanding Player, one son and grandson of an Emmy Award winner and one D-Day veteran. How about that? Hey, talk about running the gamut, you know, variety. <laughs> Not just in sports, but, you know, in entertainment circles, because I know you had several of those. Wow, that's impressive, Robert. So 230 or thereabouts. Un unbelievable that we've done it this long. And the number kind of surprised me a little bit. But yeah, we've had plenty of guests and uh, we're going to have some more coming up. So look for that. Uh, Rockets, we got to talk about them for a little bit because we haven't talked since they landed the third pick in the draft lottery, Stephen. Right. Obviously, you'd love it if they were higher, but Rafael Stone, Stephen, is happy to be in the top three. And you got to be happy considering they had a much better chance to get the fourth or fifth pick than the third pick, Stephen. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think when you and I talked about it, Robert, we were pretty, you know, set that they might get number four. And, we, you know, if they were going to do that, who they would pick. So the fact that they got number three, that's a notch higher. Sure, you'd like to have the number one overall pick. But, hey, number three, we'll take it at this point. Yeah, what I meant to say also is that a much better chance that you're uh, the fourth or fifth than you're in the top three, fourth or right. fifth. And the draft experts, they seem to be fairly sure that Jabari Smith is going to be the likely number one pick. Chet Holmgren should be number two. It's not set in stone, but odds are good that the Rockets end up with Paolo Banchero or Paolo Banchero. I'm, I'm going to screw his name up until we finally get to see him on a regular basis, I'm sure. But like a lot of people, Stephen, defense, it's my huge concern with him. He looks like a great athlete, so you have to wonder um, what held him back at Duke. Is it footwork, lateral quickness, just desire? That's really the big concern. I mean, offensively, he, he can do pretty much everything except shoot the three. Yeah, the defense is just critical, Robert. I mean, we've talked about it at least for the last couple of years on this podcast, and it, it's what the rack, uh, Rockets are so deeply lack right now. But, you know, the, the key also is to get someone 
who can complement Jalen Green and, and whomever else you're going to put around him. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we talked a lot about Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren. I know Chet Holmgren was the one that you and I were kind of leaning toward, Robert. You just, you never know. I mean, the draft isn't that far away. Things could happen. But, yeah, if the Rockets just, they need to get this this pick right just as much as they needed to get Jalen Green right. So, hopefully it will be, if not that pick, certainly somewhere else that they can get to a better defense because without it, I just don't, they're not going to make much improvement, even with whoever else they put on the roster here in the next season or two. Yeah, and that's my big concern with Paolo is that, you know, I was hoping that if you get Jabari, if you got Jabari or Chad in this draft, you could make a big jump in defense, which is their biggest issue, obviously. They were terrible. And if you got one of those two guys, you had a chance to make that jump. And now you're you're likely, he can be good, I think, there's a potential that Paulo can be a good defensive player. I just think it's going to take a lot more time. Whereas offensively he comes in and he might be able to help you really quickly, but defense again, that's the big deal. And with, you know, putting him with Shane Goon, two guys that are not good shooters, Steven, you know, in the front court, you, you, you needed some three point shooting in the front court because Jay Sean Tate can't shoot real well. KJ Mart, we've said all this and you know, right. now you're bringing in another guy that's going to, he's going to take some time to be a good three-point shooter. I think he's a good mid-range guy, but obviously you want to spread the court a little bit. Well, listen, if you're not going to be a great shooter, you got to learn to play defense. That That's all I've got to say about that. I was listening to Jonathan Fagan, Stephen, on the Clutch Fans podcast this week. Great interview, by the way. And Fagan said something that kind of surprised me. He said the Rockets look at Dacian Knicks as a lottery pick. So basically they think they got multiple lottery picks last year. Not sure I agree with what I've seen from him so far, Loved his passing. You know, that could be an elite level skill for him, but the jump shot needs a, a ton of work. And so does his lateral quickness on defense. Not saying it's impossible. He can be a pretty good player. A lottery pick though. I don't know about that. Mm, yeah, that is a little bit high, I think for him, but you know, Fagan's been around a while and he, he has some great, I, I enjoy reading his stuff in the Chronicle, not just because of the way he writes his stories, but I, you know, his analysis is, if not totally spot on, I think has some good merit. So, you know, maybe he has something or maybe he's seen something that we're not. Yeah, he's talked to somebody. I mean, that's what it yeah. comes down to. He's saying what other people are telling him with the Rockets is what they see him as. And that's what he's he's that's my point is the Rockets think this guy is a lottery yeah. pick. So, you know, that's a it's that's super interesting. Also interesting that, you know, Christian, what I you know, people are talking about. You know, it's likely that, that he's going to get dealt, which I agree. And I think everybody wants him dealt. I, I'll just say this one thing, Stephen, about the Christian Wood uh, people that want him dealt. Everybody is like, yeah, I want to deal him. But, yeah, we're giving you a 2010 guy and we got to get this and this back. If, you, if, you, if, if you're so set on how good he's going is or what his numbers are, then why are you so intent on dealing him? If he's a 2010 guy, we should be keeping him. But it's obvious we want to get rid of him because – he can't play defense, and that's an issue is when you get 20 but you give up 30, that's a problem. Yeah, and his offense, too. Is, uh, consistency has been the biggest problem, I think, for me when I think of Christian Wood. And, you know, just when he looks like he's getting it together, he starts falling back. And then it's there's his attitude on the court, Robert, and we've talked about this multiple times, of the way he acts around some of the young guys, you know, especially when he gets called for a foul, and, you know, things like that, that is not exactly a great 
team example for guys like Jalen Green, whomever else the Rockets draft this year and other guys that they bring in. You know, that's that's my biggest concern of Christian Wood, along with just his inconsistency on offense and poor defense. Yeah, it's the poison that he could bring to the locker room. So, yeah, it's it's a big deal. And um, the the only thing left, I think, for this show is to talk about uh, give me 20 minutes on what you, what you thought about Texans OTAs and, you know, what you thought about, uh, you know, how the special teams looked and any, any thoughts on that? <laughs> 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, ask me at training camp. <laughs> yeah. The Texans OTAs. That, that's interesting. I mean, you know, with a new coach, you always kind of wonder, you know, what things are going to happen there, but uh, they, they've certainly signed some new players recently. I know they've, Signed some more uh, defensive backs and uh, even an offensive lineman, I think. So they, they're getting more new faces uh, that we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on as we head toward training camp. Yeah, the only thing that I saw that was of note is that, and it's good that Titus Howard is finally playing tackle at, at, during OTA. So that was a good thing. We've been saying that for a long, long time. Hey, Stephen, great to catch up with you. It's been too long, man. Absolutely, Robert. Always enjoy it. And uh, let's see if the Astros can keep things going. And, uh, you know, the, the Rockets and Texans aren't playing. So <laughs> I mean, they, the Astros are it. So they've got to keep it going or it's going to be a pretty depressing rest of the summer. So always good to catch up with you and hope we do it again soon. Absolutely. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.